My prayer this morning, Father, is a simple one, that you would give me a heart for your word and a word for our hearts. Amen. The average 50-year-old church attender has heard 1,760 sermons. They've sung 5,800 hymns. They have seen the plate go by around 1,500 times and have never led a person to Christ. I want you to hear that. Maybe it's because the presentation of the gospel is often misconstrued. We've seen the people on Saturday mornings who invade our neighborhoods and knock on our doors with pamphlets. They say, well, you just take a pamphlet and read about it. The Jehovah's Witnesses are out there faithfully knocking on doors. They're doing something. We may not always agree with the message, but they're fishing. Have any of us been fishing lately is the question. Reminds me of the, a lady who was reading in the newspaper and it said, your dog needs your help. It needs one tablespoon of cod liver oil every day. It will make its coat furrier and your dog will have more energy. And the lady said, I love my dog. So she went out and she bought cod liver oil and she would get a spoonful of it and chase the dog around the house and finally pin the dog down and put the cod liver oil in. And it, this became a daily event. And as soon as she got the bottle, the dog would start running away. And one day in the struggle, she knocked over the bottle and the cod liver oil fell on the floor. The dog ran over and began to lap it up. The dog loved cod liver oil. It was the way that she was administering the cod liver oil that made the dog run away. Sometimes the way we preach the gospel is more scary than the gospel that people need and want to hear. Jesus meets four fishermen in this story, and it doesn't go through the story that we have later in Luke about the right and the left side of the boat and the large catch of fish. It just says Jesus meets the fishermen in Capernaum and says, repent and follow me. I want you to remember your map of Israel that we've been working on for a bit. So at the top of Israel is the Sea of Galilee, and at the very top of that is Capernaum. The Jordan River runs down all the way through Israel to the bottom to the Dead Sea. So far, so good? Now, those of you that are listening can't see me drawing a map in the air, but it's there. Capernaum is up here right above the Sea of Galilee, perfect place for fishermen to be next to a lake. Nazareth is over here towards the coast of the Mediterranean. So there's something hidden in this story. The first thing you need to know is that Jesus left home. He said, I am leaving the life of a carpenter. I am leaving my mother and my relatives, my brothers, my sisters, my cousins, and I am moving to begin my ministry all the way over to Capernaum. That was rather severe in those days to just pick up and move. He didn't move the shop. He didn't get a better rent on the building. He just said, my ministry has begun, and he moved. I, I know that you've had managers who've said this. I've had managers who said this. I would never ask anybody that worked for me to do something that I wouldn't do. I want you to hear it. Jesus left home 
moved from Nazareth to Capernaum to start his public ministry. So what he's asking the disciples to do is not out of the question. He's already exampled that. And if you really want to go back in time, Jesus left his heavenly home to come here to minister to us. So Jesus has actually done this twice, what he's going to ask the disciples to do. And then I have to ask the question, have you met Jesus? Now we know from last week's story that Andrew took Peter to meet Jesus. So they had met, and, and I want you to think about this for a second. Have you met Doc Madison? Because I look really impressive on paper. And I don't know about you, but I always, I always laugh. I listen to a lot of speakers on the radio or books on tape, and you get used to a person's voice, and you've never seen them, and, and you draw a picture of them in your mind of what they would look like. Like Charles Stanley does not match his voice. He's got that rich, deep southern draw, and you look at him on TV, and he's this skinny old man. And yet he's got this rich, vibrant voice. I've been told that my voice is very young, that when you listen on the Spotify, that I, I don't sound like I'm almost 60 years old. And I want to say, but I, I am almost 60 years old, which demonstrates the point that I don't sound like I'm almost 60 years old. But on paper, you know, he, he's the reverend doctor. He's got two masters and a doctorate. He's sung opera around the world. He's been a college professor. And you can make the list longer and longer. And then you meet me in real life and you go, huh, really? I thought you'd be much taller. I say I thought you'd be much smarter. Like, wh why, why not just go with what you meet? So here's the press. There's a new preacher in town. His name is Jesus. Have you heard? Have you heard? He's making the blind see and the lame walk. He tells really great stories. You got to come see him. Where did he go to school? He didn't go to school. He's just a naturally gifted teacher. Well, what church did he come out of? He's not out of any church. He just arrived. In fact, he was a carpenter, they say. Really? A preaching carpenter? Who ever heard of something like that? And yet we have the facts in our time. We have the Bible. We have the historical fact. And we know Jesus, but we don't know Jesus. We know that he was a preacher and a carpenter. We know that he was a, a prophet. We know that he was the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But do we know him personally? We know the person, but do we know him personally? In one of the stories, when Jesus does the miracle of the fish, Peter falls down on his knees and says, Depart from me, for I am an unclean man. I'm a sinner. When the perfect meets the pagan, that's when you get to know Jesus. When the grace meets the greedy. When the unconditional love of God meets the unworthy sinner. At that point, when you fall on your knees and say, depart from me, I am unclean. That's when you know Jesus. Do you know Jesus? See, Jesus came to the Apostle Paul. He was caring. He was confrontational. And he was challenging. And he said, Paul, 
You need to repent. What does that mean? In Greek, the word is metanoia. It means to change your mind. Now, we've come to interpret that as to change your direction, to turn around and walk away from him. What did he ask the disciples to do? Leave your nets and follow me. Turn around and do something. You know, sometimes they refer to the church in the 21st century as the frozen chosen. We realize that Jesus has called us. We all come together on Sunday morning, and yet we're frozen in place. We all have our assigned seats. Everybody knows who sits where, because then at the end of the day we go, well, where were they? They weren't in their seat. Jesus says, no. Deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. It's got to have some movement. The possibility here, the life-changing, the ministry-inspiring message of Jesus is helping, healing, and the heartful, hearing the heartful, I can say it, hearing the heartfelt call of God. Uh, one of the speakers I listened to to get ready for today said a quote, and I've heard it many times. Jesus doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. The carpenter with no education called fishermen. He called zealots. He called rebels. In fact, I, I have this uh, cute little thing here. It's called the resume of the disciples. I want to read this to you. To Jesus, son of Joseph, woodworkers, carpenter shop, Nazareth, Area code, or zip code 25922, from the Jordan Management Consultants. Dear sir, thank you for submitting the resumes of the 12 men you have picked for managerial positions in your new organization. All of them have taken our battery of tests, and we have not only run the results through our computer, but also arranged personal interviews for each of them with our psychologist and vocational aptitude consultant. The profiles of all tests are included, and you will want to study each of them carefully. As part of our service, we make some general comments for your guidance, much as an auditor will include some general statements. This is given as a result of staff consultation and comes without any additional fee. It is the staff opinion that most of your nominees are lacking in background, education, and vocational aptitude for the type of enterprise you are undertaking. They do not have the team concept. We would recommend that you continue your search for persons of experience in managerial ability and proven capability. Simon Peter is emotionally unstable and given to fits of temper. Andrew has absolutely no qualities of leadership. These two brothers, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, place personal interest above company loyalty. Thomas demonstrates a questioning attitude that would tend to undermine morale. We feel that it is our duty to tell you Matthew has been blacklisted by the Greater Jerusalem Better Business Bureau. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, definitely have radical leanings and both registered a high score on the manic depressive scale. One of the candidates, however, shows great potential. He is a man of ability and resourcefulness meets people well, has a keen business mind, and has contacts in high places. He is highly motivated, ambitious, and responsible. We recommend Judas Iscariot as your controller and right-hand man, 
All the other profiles are self-explanatory. We wish you every success in your new venture. Sincerely, Jordan Management Consultants. God calls us. He does not call us because we're qualified. He calls us because we're listening. Uh, you may have seen the movie, The Bridge Over the River Kwai. It's got that great theme. And all the guys march out to build a bridge, marching to that theme and back. Well, actually, it's based on a true story, a novel by a man named Ernst Gordon. And the book is called Through the Valley of Kwai. Ernst Gordon was an elite British soldier who became a POW at this concentration camp. The commandant of the concentration camp was so evil that after the war was over, his own country put him on trial for war crimes. He underfed and overworked the prisoners to the point where they would intentionally not have enough food, throw it in front of the prisoners just to watch them fight over it. And Ernst Gordon said, I am not going to participate in this craziness. I'm going to maintain my dignity. dignity dig my lips are not working today. Dignity and wound up emaciated and in the hospital with such poor circulation that his leg had sores on them. And he was sure he was going to die in the hospital. One day he wakes up to somebody rubbing his legs, which is a treatment back then to increase the circulation in the legs. And there's two men there. One was named Denny Moore. And the other was named Dusty Miller. Denny Moore had been raised Roman Catholic and Dusty Miller had been raised Methodist. And they had lived in this environment and said, you know what, we need to reclaim our dignity, our humanity. And they said, and this is a quote, let's give that Christian faith another go. That's, that's a stiff upper lip English word. Let's give that Christian faith another go. And they had decided to live by two principles, to love God and to love their fellow man. And they began a culture of caring for one another to the point where Dusty had a gold Rolex watch that he had been saving to purchase his freedom from the guards. And when it turned out that Ernst Gordon needed medicine, Dusty sold his Rolex watch to buy the medicine for Ernst. One man, let me say it this way, they were digging and they inventoried the shovels and there was a shovel missing and the guard was certain that somebody had stolen the shovel. And he accused one man of the shovel, stealing the shovel and he pointed his gun at him and he said, I am going to kill this man for stealing the shovel and another man said, I stole it and took the bullet for the first man. They built a culture of loving God and loving one another. It turned out that the shovel had just been miscounted. No one should have died, but one man took the life for another. At the end of the war, just before the end, Dusty Miller had in infiltrated this camp with such a feeling of goodwill that the commandant crucified him just days before the war was over. Jesus says to us, just like he said to the disciples, repent. Turn around, change your direction, change your mind. 
But turning around and changing your direction in your mind is not enough. You have to choose a new direction. Having been a therapist for more years than I care to count, it, it's sometimes easy to get a person to turn away from one sin, and what do they do? They walk right into another. How many of us know a person that is separated from a, a destructive marital relationship, perhaps an alcohol problem, and they leave one alcoholic and wind up with another one? It's not enough to repent, to turn around, to change your mind. You have to choose a new direction, and Jesus gives you that direction. He says, follow me. And here's the good news. You don't have to know how to be a fisher of men. What does he say? I will make you a fisher of men. I believe that it's for us, like it was for Dusty and Denny, time to decide to have another go with the Christian faith. It's time for us to stop being the frozen chosen. It's time for us to repent again, to turn away from whatever is holding us back and to step into a life where we're actively fishing. I have a friend who started a program at his church and he said, folks, we're not talking about Jesus enough in our community. He said, I want you to do something for me. I want you to look at people and say, what do you think about Jesus? And then listen. Don't argue, don't debate. He said, just let people tell you what they think about Jesus. He said, first of all, you're going to be amazed at how much they don't know or what they think they know that is totally untrue. He said, but then, because it's human nature, what are they going to say? What do you know about Jesus? And you share with them, this is what my life was before I met Jesus. This is what my life is like now that I've met Jesus. And this is what my life is going to be for eternity with Jesus. I want you to think about this. Church is not a place where we come to demonstrate what God has done for us. Sometimes that's the only people know that we're Christians because they're sleeping in or golfing or hitting the empty grocery store on Sunday morning and we're in church and it demonstrates to them we're Christian. No, we come to church to celebrate what God has done for us, to praise to worship, to lift our hands, to lift our voices, to say this, this is what Jesus did for us and there's no way I can pay it back. And Jesus says, well, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. If you've never met Jesus, if you've never had your pagan self meet the perfect God, if you've never had your greedy self meet the gracious God, if you've never had your unworthy self meet the unconditional love of God, we're going to leave the front pews open for you and we invite you during our last hymn to come forward and pray with our deacons or our pastors. I want you to hear this. If you've met Jesus but never started fishing, Ask him to teach, inspire, and bless, and have another go at this thing called the Christian faith. If we all caught one fish, it'd be a different day. Perhaps you met Jesus and you know how to fish, but something stopped you. Make today that you start to fish fresh as a disciple of Jesus. Amen.